always the Steelers standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Welcome into another edition of the Steelers Standard. I am Tom Opferman, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, a PIC, Jacob Recht. Jacob, the preseason is finally in the books. What a relief that is that football can finally turn the page and look towards games that actually mean something. We, hey, got, we got two weeks of practice, and then it is live bullet time, my friend. Let's give credit where credit is due, right? The Baltimore Ravens oh. set an <laughs> NFL record most preseason wins in a row. What's Congra- up with that? Congratulations. Does Harbaugh have some weird like clause in his contract that pays him bonuses for preseason wins? Like, why are they trying so hard? Congratulations on the most irrelevant record in all of sports. All of sports, right? I not agree even, completely. Not even football, all of sports. All of sports. The most irrelevant record. The Steelers played a pretty irrelevant football game against the Carolina Panthers uh, last Friday. They certainly treated it like it was an irrelevant football game. What was the term you heard Mike Tomlin say? All uh, post-game press conference, JV, junior varsity. varsity. It's all he threw out there, and it looked like we were watching a high school junior varsity team play, to be honest. The Panthers tore it up. Sam Darnold tore up the Steelers' second-string defense. And I think the guy we got to start with, though, is... Mr. Number Three playing quarterback, getting the start for the Steelers and completely flopping with the opportunity handed to him. Yeah, I mean, you can't really put too much blame on him, though, because he was playing with backups. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, well, he, had Claypool, well, he had Claypool and he had a couple offensive linemen. I think Trey Turner was really the only main one that wasn't out there. Banner, of course, with injury, too. Well, that shouldn't shock you at all. No. Ban- we'll get Banner to Banner later in the episode. It's yeah. something we've been saying all preseason long. But uh, it's still, I mean, Claypool had, what, I think one or maybe two couple targets. couple series out there. Yeah, but he wasn't really involved. I don't think Mike Tomlin, by putting him out there, was was trying to say, well, let's see what Claypool The most do. memorable Claypool play was the jet sweep where he got like seven or eight yards mm-hmm. off of it. I mean, he made That's a good run on Yeah, he did. Yeah, no, he I mean, did. It's great to see that. It was a good effort. He but didn't really get utilized much. I didn't need to see Chase Claypool out there. I was surprised be. when I saw him dress. I was surprised. Yeah. I mean, we all thought that, or the two of us thought that, it was just going to be probably one guy, and the one guy you were going to see was James Washington. Yeah. Or, among or, the starter re- receivers. If anyone, maybe Deontay Johnson for that little series. Maybe the thought process into that, not to get too much into Claypool, was just you missed the dress rehearsal with the starters against the Lions coming off that injury. Let's use this as a little mini dress rehearsal for you. Get one more game under your belt, a couple more series. And it worked out. You didn't get hurt, so you can't really say it was a bad decision. But he was the only real tool that Haskins had skill position-wise. Starting running back for him was a combination of either Benny Snell or Jalen Samuels. Benny Snell very didn't leave much uh, to be desired from his performance either. So, Certainly not. So it was definitely an uphill climb for Haskins, especially when you factor in the, the Panthers treated this game, I think, like their you know, traditional third preseason game, like that there was still one more left. They used almost all of their starters on defense. They used Darnold on the offensive side of the ball for almost an entire quarter and into the second quarter of football. So the Panthers were definitely going about this a little different way. So Haskins had to face a starting caliber defense with only about four members of who you think will be the three or four members of who you think is going to be regulars on the Steelers offensive line. So I do get that you have to take his performance with a little grain of salt. But, man, after all the talk and all the hype going into it, he really did disappoint. And there's just no question he's not going to be the number two now. It's it's Rudolph's jobs, lock, stock, and barrel. It probably was the case even before that game even started. Oh, I think the Steelers knew, Mike Tomlin knew what he was going to do with his backups. I think he knew it was going to be Mason number two and, and Haskins number three. And they look kind of even throughout the first three games. 
uh, no one really made that big of a mistake. The only thing that people were talking about really in terms of mistakes made and you were you had to question it was that fumble that Mason Rudolph had on that one handoff. Other than that, though, he wasn't forcing he wasn't forcing balls. He wasn't turning the ball over at a drastic rate, and neither was Haskins. No. But I think it was the fact that Haskins kind of lost the job here. I don't even know if he would have had a Ben Roethlisberger-like game the way that Ben had against Detroit, where he went out for three offensive series, two touchdown passes on those three drives and a perfect passer rating. I think even if Haskins had that kind of day, it still probably would not have been enough to take the job away from Mason. And at this point, you got to feel comfortable if you're a Steelers fan. This is, if you were a Dwayne, ha- if you were in Dwayne Haskins' camp in in the battle between Mason and, and Haskins in terms of who you wanted to see at number two, you've got nothing on your plate no. now in terms of an argument. I mean, you got to look at it from a logistical and unbiased perspective and said this is what Dwayne Haskins did with the opportunity to start a game, and it wasn't starting quarterback material. Maybe this is a product from seeing actual starters on that defensive front getting pressure from a defense with players that you'll be seeing playing in a couple weeks for the entire game for the Carolina Panthers. Um, Maybe this has to do with it, but a lot of the thing you saw Haskins do was not wait for things to develop downfield. A lot of short check down stuff. That was kind of the big negative uh, from his time in Washington is that he wouldn't let plays develop downfield. He was afraid to almost push that ball down the field. And it's not like a Ben Roethlisberger situation where, you know, maybe he just isn't confident in his line to have the time to do that. Haskins, I just don't think, has the confidence in himself to put balls uh, in tight windows down the field. And therefore, you see a lot of check down stuff. He did have a really nice pass down the sidelines, though, that was a big time professional uh, throw. Unfortunately, Ray Ray McLeod stepped out of bounds. Pretty tough game for Mr. Ray Ray. I'm sure that, he's, I mean, he's sweating a little bit as final cut down day approaches. In, I'm glad you said that because I was going to. But a great throw from Haskins it. there. Best throw of the game for sure. But other than that, never really saw him wait and push the ball downfield much. No, you didn't. And to be honest, on there wasn't that many options for him to go to as well in terms of deep threats. I mean, like you said, Claypool wasn't really out there for much. James Washington wasn't out there for much or even utilized when he was available to be out there as a de- as the typical deep threat. And then the guys you have remaining, Ray Ray McLeod, obviously, if if you're Ray Ray McLeod and you're the fifth wide receiver, there's really not much separating you from guys like Matt Sexton or anyone else. And you have to not necessarily earn your spot, but just make it easier for Mike Tomlin to say, okay, Ray Ray's our fifth guy. And if you're not going to be out there, we know that your asset to us is speed, right? So how are mm-hmm. we going to use that? It's going to be it's making you a deep threat, and if you're not able to make that kind of catch, as you said, Tom, I'm sure Ray Ray's sweating a little bit. I'm sure he's been thinking about that one play, even though he was out there for the entire game and he had the lone touchdown on the day for the Steelers later on that came in garbage time in the fourth quarter. That's the play that's going to stick out to people, not not the touchdown pass he caught later in the game. Luckily for him. Matthew Sexton may have made a bigger gaffe. In fact, he oh. did make a bigger gaffe, and that actually found Sexton cut already. Mm-hmm. Anthony Johnson, another receiver that has been cut. Ray Ray's probably going to make this team, but he definitely is feeling a little bit of the pressure. Not the best performance from him in a game that he really needed to step up and show, like, I can be the number one receiver here in this game against Carolina, therefore granting me the right to be the number five receiver on the depth chart when we start playing this game for him. But like I said, I think Ray Ray's going to make it because I think 
he's so valuable in the return game, even though I kind of lean towards I want to see maybe a little bit more Anthony McFarland on that end of things. Matthew Sexton completely shot himself in the foot, so you need to have two of those guys. So, Ray Ray, congratulations. I think you're definitely still going to make it. But one last thing on Dwayne Haskins. I don't want this to come out as I'm negative on Haskins now and this guy should be cut and he should be they should move on from him. Although, Jacob, I'm not ruling out that they don't cut him. I mean, they still might keep Dobbs over Haskins. It's it's the Steelers. They do these things. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm not ruling it out. And I don't think I'd be a proponent for that. I'd still keep Haskins. I still think he can really... Uh, do well with an entire season of practice under his belt as the third string quarterback for this team, not getting a helmet on Sundays, but going through all the practice reps, playing on the practice squad, playing against a really good Steelers defense, as we all know, in practice every day, and just learning how to become a professional from an incredibly professional organization and a great coach, Mike Tomlin, who demands that kind of perfection out of his players. So I still think that this Haskins experiment you don't need to crumple it up and throw it in the trash can yet it's just we got a little bit too ahead of our skis in year one of the Haskins experiment and now I think we can step back and reset and realize okay this is all about just him kind of reacclimating himself into being a professional getting a year of practice under his belt let's see how he looks in 2022 preseason when he's out there with the starters yeah, I mean, that's going to be the real test. For right, him exactly. We got a little too the, ahead of ourselves. The reason we were talking so much about Dwayne Haskins this year was simply in the number two quarterback race. It wasn't for the number one spot. Of course. This time next year is where if Dwayne Haskins has a performance like he did on Friday night in the preseason next year, it's going to cause a lot more concern because this is just saying, okay, well, now he's number three maybe even not even going to make the team if, if we're more comfortable going forward with Josh Dobbs. But if Dwayne Haskins is on the team in 2022, and sure, it's an, even if it's in the final preseason game, you got to be a little, a little hesitant to say, well, this guy should be our starter moving forward because if, if you're going to have a performance like that, that's not what you want out of a starting quarterback. The whole thing with Haskins was, you know, the sexy narrative to have was, oh, if Rudolph goes or if Ben goes down for a half or a game or two games, then it's Rudolph's job. But if Ben goes down for eight, nine weeks, then Haskins is your turn. Nothing on Friday gave me confidence to think that that would be the case. Now, I think even if it's a long term injury, it's just a Mason Rudolph show till the end of the year, unless he just completely stinks. But nothing I've seen from Mason is going to make me think that he completely stinks. And you heard what Tomlin was talking or his tone of voice when he referred to Haskins. He ain't happy with the dude right now. Mm. And this is a guy that put all of his faith, all of his eggs in that basket. He loves Dwayne Haskins. He said a lot how high he was on him when he came out of Ohio State in the draft a couple years ago. He was not happy with his performance. I, I think there's any pipe dream of the, oh, long-term Ben injury means Haskins comes in to take over for the rest of the season. I, I think that even went out the window. I think it's Mason Rudolph, number two, no matter what scenario you see. Of course, that's leaving room for Haskins to improve as the season works on, and maybe in the middle of the year he looks a lot better than he did on Friday. But, I mean, I, I got to see what it looks like when he gets the reins as a starter. He gets to come out of that tunnel knowing that the game is his, and it did not instill any confidence at all. No, it didn't. And I've been saying this the entire preseason long. Of course, Haskins' performance is a downer to see, but if Mason – even though you said he's done nothing this preseason to give you the impression that he could have a Haskins-like day, it's still possible. I mean, we, we said the narrative coming out of the Detroit game was 
that's the difference between a starting quarterback and guys like Haskins and Rudolph. Ben is a starting quarterback. He was able to completely dissect that Detroit mm-hmm. defense, made the most of it of his entire time out there. Sure, his first series ended in what I think it was a three and out, if not very shortly after. But once he got back into it, it was touchdown after touchdown. It was methodical. It was perfect in terms of passer rating. That's the difference between a guy like Ben and these two guys. And so if Mason does, if Ben does go down. And I'm only looking at 2021. 2022 is a completely different conversation. Yeah, of course. But 2021, if Ben does go down for however long of a time, whether it's one to two weeks or or four or longer, I say you just go with Mason and t- and you treat it very similar to 2019, where you you have the confidence to go with Mason. But if he starts to take a step back or digress in any way then you have to say, well, he's not working for us right now. Let's just substitute Haskins in for a short time. And it was working. I mean, of course, we all know that the Steelers started off, what, 1-4 and four, and then ended the season 0-3. And, and in that time, they were as hot of a team as any in the NFL. It was just you were hesitant to call them hot or a contender because they were doing it with yeah. guys named Mason Rudolph and, and Duck Hodges. But Duck Hodges was fine until he wasn't. And then you threw Mason Rudolph back in in that New York Jets game, and he was looking great until he got hurt. And then you had you were forced to go with Duck for the rest of the year, and that obviously didn't work for you. So I think the Steelers can go with a very similar game plan where they start with Mason, and if Mason has something of a of a setback along the way, then you go with Haskins, and you just go with Haskins until you think you don't need to play Haskins any longer, and then you throw Mason out back out there. I don't know how big of a real concern the backup quarterback thing was. I know this town really kind of whipped it into a somewhat concern for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but it's certainly nothing you should be concerned about, especially when, if as long as Ben stays healthy, it's the most irrelevant thing ever. Other concerns that you had heading into camp, you know, there was a lot of them, but now as we kind of sit post uh, preseason heading into the season, this is a team that I think its holes are very few and far between. And I think the only two glaring ones as we sit here right now are the nickel corner spot, which I don't know how bad of a concern that really is. And then, of course, the offensive line is still the A1 concern that you have coming in and specifically what's going on at that right tackle spot, I think is the one thing that has you really concerned. But looking at that nickel spot, I think the best 11 on the field when you go into a nickel package is going to be to put James Pierre on the outside and have Cam Sutton bump onto the inside. I know that they didn't want to play musical chairs at the beginning of camp, but things didn't work out based on the other guys in that position battle like they did for James Pierre. He forced your hand. You got to play the musical chairs role. And I, I get that, you can be kind of mildly concerned with this, and it is a little bit of a concern as we head into the season, but we've said so many times, we think the Steelers think they have a dude in James Pierre, so why not put him out on the field as much as possible in a position he's most comfortable in, and in turn put Cam Sutton in a position that he's pretty damn comfortable in as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, James Pierre forced your hand the way Dwayne Haskins did, but in the opposite way. In the, Dwayne, in the positive D- sense. Dwayne yeah. Haskins kind of lost the job. James Pierre didn't just earn the job. He solidified. He took it. Like, yeah, he, was he like just he, grabbed yeah. it. It was, it was there. The fruit was hanging from the tree. Justin Lane didn't make a grab for it. And you could say, arguably, that James Pierre made a bigger grab for whatever position he's going to take than Cam Sutton did for his. Dude, there is a very serious thought that I've been having lately. Ever since you said you went back and watched the Eagles game and Cam Sutton really wasn't that great in coverage, 
James Pierre, if he is balling, when say they keep going nickel and doing the musical chairs thing week five, week six, and James Pierre is just doing a damn good job locking someone down on the outside, there might be a world where you start seeing your normal outside corners be Hayden and Pierre and have Sutton coming off the field when they only go with four defensive backs. Dom, I think we were a little not blinded, but a little too positive kind of in the way that people were about Dwayne Haskins. You were too eager to see what he could do. Maybe the same thing happened with Cam Sutton, where we just said, well, it's his job. He clearly earned it because the Steelers wouldn't have been confident enough with him if they had gotten rid of Steve Nelson and let Michael Hilton go to Cincinnati. Maybe we were a little too confident in the ability of Cam Sutton to really play that true corner position opposite of Joe Hayden. And now after seeing not I don't want to say he got exposed. He doesn't get exposed. And it's not like he lost that job either. He definitely no. still should be your starter week one. It's just the fact that if James Pierre, as you said, is making more of a push to be that true corner, then allow him to do that. And then you in turn kind of regain an asset by keeping Cam Sutton as that true nickel cornerback. I completely agree. I think it needs to be fluid. I think your secondary needs to be a fluid situation. If if James Pierre is really giving the business to Steph Diggs on a couple of plays when he gets a mismatch and you just kind of like that later in a game, maybe roll James Pierre out there in a, in a normal four defensive back package instead of Cam Sutton because he's playing well. You can do that. You don't have to lock yourself into, you know, it's Joe and Cam, and if we go nickel, then we move Cam on the inside. But no matter what, if it's just four DBs, we're going Cam on the outside, we're going Hayden on the outside. No need to pigeonhole yourself into that situation when you don't have two top dogs like you did for the past couple of years where Hayden and Nelson were clearly the best two options that you had you got to be fluid. You got to be flexible. And they didn't want to be flexible with the whole nickel package situation. They wanted to just keep Cam Sutton on the outside at the beginning of camp. Like we've been saying, their hand was forced. They have to be fluid. Continue that fluidity as you move through the season. And I'm glad you brought up Steph Diggs' name because Stephon Diggs is maybe, what, a top three, if not a top five receiver. He's in the top NFL. three for sure. I think top three. Yes. What a test that will be yes. for both James Pierre and Cam Sutton. If either of them can go toe-to-toe with this guy, that should be the signal that that's that's the guy for the rest of the well, year. Well, what a test for Joe Hayden as well, who will probably draw him a fair share amount. I mean, this is there's no way you can slice it where you're not going to need number 39 to help a lot. Oh, on, of course. On number 14, Absolutely. no question. It's just... Whoever does the better job of when they're assigned to Stefan Diggs, I think it's a hell of a test right out of the gate. Absolutely. But I think that's what it's obviously it's a tough draw for the Steelers. We know they have the hardest schedule in the NFL across the across the entire 18 weeks, but even more, uh, not even more so, but. What a way to start the season on the road against Buffalo, a team that now has beaten you twice in the last two years, both in primetime games. This obviously will not be a primetime game. It's just a one o'clock Sunday afternoon game. But still, you have struggled against you have struggled to beat the Bills. And remember, two years ago, there was no Stefan Diggs. Last year, obviously, he had a big game against the Steelers. Will you be able to contain him? The guy who does the best job, obviously, with the help of Mika Fitzpatrick. I think is going to get a lot of credit for whatever they do in terms of, I can't even say shutting him down because I think that's kind of a pipe dream to say that he will be shut down, but whichever guy does the best job when they're assigned to him, I think is a really good sign 
to say, okay, let's pay more attention to this guy between Pierre and Sutton moving forward. I think the biggest concern, obviously, is the offensive line. Um, the starters are in place. We know from left to right what it's going to look like. You've heard us say it until we're blue in the face what this starting line is going to look like. And there's a concern on all five of these guys how they're going to gel, how that thing's going to hold up, run blocking, how it's going to hold up in pass protection of Ben Roethlisberger. But if you go and zoom in on these uh, five starters and, and kind of look at the micro, Zach Banner's the one that I'm the most concerned with. Dude can't stay healthy. He's played 12 total snaps in the past year uh, and change since getting injured against the Giants in week one. That's just simply not enough snaps for a guy that, yeah, won the job in 2020, but it was a pretty tight position battle between Chooks, and Chooks, all he did was end up coming in uh, for an injured banner and being so serviceable that he started the rest of the way for the Steelers. They didn't have to go out and look for someone else or bring in somebody else to play on the tackle, move Filer back outside the tackle. They didn't have to do any of that. They just mm -hmm. played with Chooks. So clearly it was incredibly tight, could have gone either way, went to banner, he gets hurt. Now he can't stay healthy. Now this right tackle job still goes to banner, even though there's a guy in Dan Moore Jr. behind him who is really barking up his butt a little bit as far as I don't think the Steelers expected him to look this good right out of the gate, and they still are probably going to hand things off to Mr. Zach Banner in Buffalo week one, health permitting, of course. But that might be a little bit of a mistake to start the season. And I get that you are looking at Kendrick Green, who is a starter, and he's a rookie. For sure. And then two spots over, you're going to have another rookie playing right tackle. I know that probably gives heart palpitations to a lot of the coaches on that coaching staff but I think it might be your best option. And I think you might have to take a little bit of a risk for a group of people who are the most risk adverse in, a, in the world, NFL coaches. They might have to take a risk here with Dan Moore. Not just the coaching staff, but the guy in charge, Mike yeah, Tomlin. Yeah, risk adverse about, is in all their DNAs. It's but yeah, in his, his more so than ever, more so than anyone else's on that coaching staff. For someone who says he doesn't live in his fears, this would be a fear you're probably living in. A I, don't know if the, I don't know if this really constitutes, if this really falls under that umbrella or that scope. Because Dan Moore Jr. has not started, is, is a rookie. I mean, I, I, I get the health concerns with, with Banner. And, of course, of course, Chooks only got the start because Banner went down. I think it's fair to say it's not just health concerns with Banner. It's a, can this dude be a starter in the NFL? We've but not that, seen it, it yet. It starts with the health. The health, and then it keeps going as you pull on that thread. As, as we always say, that best ability is availability, and he's not available. So even if he's... A starter or not, we don't know that because we haven't been given the chance to really see it. It wouldn't kill me, Tom. It really wouldn't. If week one, you still go with Chooks and Banner, but as the season unfolds, if Dan Moore continues to play at the level that he played in during the preseason, which was, I think, more impressive than the way that we saw from what we saw out of Chooks and Banner. I think Dotson was the best lineman all preseason, and I think Dan Moore has a case to be the second best all preseason. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate the name of Kendra Green too much. He played but, all right, but that we all know the bull rush that he suffered yes. against against Philadelphia. That was a yes. big red. And flag. And you saw him get moved on his heels a couple of times against Carolina. It's probably going to happen throughout the rookie season. But it's, he did he's fine. A, he's, he's he's the starter for okay. sure. We know. I mean, we're much more comfortable going. The reason we're not talking about Kendra Green is because we know the the likes of Hassenauer and B.J. Finney aren't threats in any way. Yeah, Banner's better than them. Yeah. yeah. So. The, the conversation is much different when talking about the tackles because you have a real option in Dan Moore Jr. And it wouldn't it wouldn't kill me if they said just week one, it's too much of a risk. 
to go with two rookies on an offensive line to start the season. But it could be something similar to like the Devin Bush thing that we saw two years ago when even though he was the first-round pick, he was the number 10 overall, and he still didn't get the start week one. I'm not saying Dan Moore Jr. has that pedigree, but something along the same lines of we're going to keep him just in waiting. And as soon as Banner or Chukes goes down, not necessarily by injury, but by performance, that's when Dan Moore is going to come up. Zach Banner better get healthy before Buffalo, though. If he can't go week one and they have to start Dan Moore at right tackle, that's think- a Wally Pip situation. I'm giving Banner too much credit, but that's a situation where your availability isn't there, and now you're giving a rookie a chance that would never have happened if you were healthy, even somewhat, even like 90% healthy. If he goes out there and shines against a really good Buffalo pass rush, you're going to be in some deep, deep trouble. One thing I wanted to get into before we have to wrap this episode up. Really though, quick, go ahead. do you think that even if it's Banner or Chukes going down, do you think Haig has a better chance, Joe Haig has a better chance of coming in rather than Dan Moore? No, I think Dan Moore is going to win the swing tackle job. I think he's going to be the first one off the bench. I it's think- just interesting because if it's Banner who goes down, it's Joe Haig who, who plays typically better at the right tackle position. And that's what I wanted to get into. I read over the weekend a report that uh, Dan Moore is struggling a bit to move from the left side to the right side. And he's more comfortable. He's on more the comfortable left. on the left side. That's where he played all in college. And he didn't say, you know, this is a nightmare. And obviously his play is illustrated that it's not been a nightmare because he's looked pretty damn good on that right side of the line. He's just a little more comfortable. He voiced that, you know, it's, it's a struggle for him to have to make that switch. And I'm kind of sitting here and I'm thinking, well, then why is he trying to make the switch? Just have him be the left tackle. I guess that there's, you know, more risk having a rookie at your left tackle than your right tackle. Because it's the blind side. But Chooks played right tackle all year last year. Just pop Chooks back over to his normal spot, have Dan Moore sit in the left tackle spot. But the reason why they're not doing that is because Zach Banner is a right tackle. They can't have him play that left tackle spot. Chooks is better suited for that, so they move Chooks over to the left have Banner on the right, and they try to break Dan Moore in on the right side because I think that's the one that the coaches see as the the most vulnerable spot is Banner's job. I think they think Chooks is pretty locked down and solid, or else I think you'd see a lot more Dan Moore over there as a backup trying to get himself acclimated to left tackle in the NFL. The fact that they're trying to move him to right tackle I think kind of is an indication that Maybe not week one, like you said, but as the season rolls on, this guy might be able to get Zach Banner, whereas they don't think he can possibly get Chooks at all in the regular season. Well, Chooks is really sitting high in this scenario. For, for no real reason, because he's been average, if even that. But it's, but, all, but it's no, just everybody I'm, else so I'm, much below what, him. What yeah. I'm saying is it's because he's typical of the left guy, but he has to come in and fill in as the right guy when Banner went down. So the Steelers know he's capable of doing both. So if you want to get Dan Moore involved in the first team reps as the starting offensive line unit, then I don't think the Steelers would would hesitate for a second saying Banner's out, swing Chooks to the right, and then put Dan Moore at at left. I think in addition to what you said, because Banner kind of struggles, Dan Moore's so young, Joe Haig, you don't really know if you want him out there with the starters. Chooks has has the best chance, obviously, for for many reasons, but one of them, one of the reasons he has the best chance to make a starting position on this offensive line is because we've seen him play both left and right. He's not uncomfortable at either. So whatever whatever side the Steelers need him to line up on, they know they can just say left or right, and that's good with him. 
Fluid. That's another right. word that we mm-hmm. should use for the offensive line. Use it for the secondary. Use it for the offensive line. Keep things fluid. If guys are looking better, don't be afraid to change things up. I know that really hurts the continuity and the chemistry, but you know what? When you're not that great anyway, maybe you can't afford continuity. Maybe you have to shake things up. That's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. On the next episode of Steelers Standard, you're definitely going to want to tune into this. We are going to name each of our top 10 quarterbacks officially for the 2021 season, preseason in the books, NFL week one right around the corner. So it's time to start talking about the things that are important and nothing is more important than quarterback play. Top 10 quarterbacks coming up on our next episode. For Jacob Brecht, I'm Tom Opferman. Thanks as always for listening to the Steelers Standard and thanks for listening to Steelers Nation Radio.